Yeah, it's, uh, it's, I've had better Sundays, let's just say that. Um, and I say that in, in all honesty because it seems totally coincidental that we're taken to Psalm 13, which is a lament, which is a, a lot of questions about God. And so I think it's really appropriate even for us as a, as a church family to hit this spot um, in this season of our church life. But I don't know about you, but I've always been frustrated by this phrase, fake it till you make it. Anyone heard that? Anyone like operate under that? That one of the biggest complaints about Christians or churches is that churches are filled with people whose lives are perfect and all put back together. And, and I always want to respond to that. Have you been to my church? Because I don't want to speak for people, but I'm pretty sure we're not a collection of people whose lives are all put together. There's a lot of brokenness that's gone on. There's a lot of pain that happens in life. What I love about the Bible, particularly the Psalms, is that we have license here to speak to God about this very issue. That there is not one Psalm that says, if you can't be happy in God, just pretend. I love that about the Psalms, that there's no sense in which it says, you know, when, when nothing is going well, put on a good face and make sure that people at least think God is good. You get the sense of the rawness of real life. I think that's why we turn to the Psalms when, when life is not going so well. How many of you, when life is rotten, all you want to do is hear someone else say, yes, I know it's rotten and my life is too. You call somebody up, you look at Facebook, you, you, you find those friends who can at least affirm you're not alone. I do love that about the Psalms. They remind us that we're not alone when we're feeling frustrated and in pain. Today is a lament, and if you're brand new to the Psalms or you're brand new to church, I want to welcome you this morning. My name is Trev. Uh, I typically have the honor of bringing God's Word to you, and I'll, I'll tell you what, this text is, I've had to use that this week. Uh, Johnny says, you want me to announce this before or after, like maybe it'll distract. I said, no, this will help explain to you when I say it's reality for me that I have a lot of questions about what God's doing right now. And I don't have a lot of answers as to what this may or may not look like. That's not to scare you, it's just to bring you into the world that exists within our church of the reality that it's painful to watch. We prayed for healing for Matt. He sat here with his wife and begged God to heal him of, of his pain. He was riding his bike and he was hit by a car. A woman who never drove again as a result of the trauma she faced from hitting him. And he has never recovered. And this morning, in some ways, this is dedicated to Matt. It's painful. Because I'm betting he's praying something along the lines of this psalm. And so this is a good opportunity for us as a community to lament together. What do I mean when I say lament? If you're brand new to this, this is what lament means. Lament, lament is a type of poetry. And, and, and again, just maybe even back up. Poetry is, is, maybe we're not so familiar with it, but what we have in the Psalms is a, a song book without the, the notes. We just have the lyrics. 
And so we, but we, it, it was also originally written in Hebrew. And so even in that sense, we've missed a lot of the emotion. Did you notice? I love the way we started today, Joel. That was fantastic. Because there's such raw emotion in that song of, of honesty. Even when, it's, even when you can't sing along and you don't know, you can feel some of that emotion, can't you? And so hopefully we can get some of the emotion out of Psalm 13. And a, a lament is, is simply this. This is what Walter Brueggemann, who wrote a book on the Psalms, said. He said, the lament psalm expresses the basic moves of faith in God, ranging from deep alienation to profound trust, confidence, and gratitude. And I will say this. It moves fairly quickly, much quicker than real life for us, but that's how songs Work And many of these lyrics point to this cycle of thinking that's not always rational. Have you noticed when you're in pain that you're not exactly the most rational human being on the planet? And how you're like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm really happy, then I'm really sad, and then I'm happy again, then I'm really sad. It's not rational. There's this cycle that you go through of just like, oh, that was awesome. Oh, that's terrible. And back and forth. I love this about the Psalms. There's not necessarily this point of rationality to it. Just shows you the cycle of, of something to model. Laments aren't about being logical, by the way. This is not instruction on how to discipline your children or how to run a business, how to make the most of your situation. This is simply just someone expressing how they feel. And so there's three things that happen in the text. I'm a preacher, so I see things in threes, of course. But it is, you'll see, you'll see it maybe even in your translation. If you're not there, turn to Psalm uh, 13. Not Psalm chapter 13, Psalm 13. It's about halfway in your Bible. If you don't have a Bible, would you raise your hand and one of the uh, ushers would love to bring you uh, a Bible. And we'd love for you to keep that if that's brand new to your Bible. But I want to Read it again. Joel read it for us, I think, much more emotionally than I. If, if you know Joel, that's no surprise to you. But this is what it says. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. Three things that we see in there. First one, what are we looking for? Second one, why are we looking for it? And third, will we be satisfied with God? What are we looking for? Why are we looking for it? Will we be satisfied with God? First thing, what are you waiting for? This is not really, in, in essence, this is not what the psalm teaches us. It's what's happening in the psalm, if that makes sense to you. And the reason why we like psalms is it seems, they seem to, to capture this poetry. It seems to just capture how we feel. You'll notice if you're looking closely at the text that the phrase how long shows up four straight times. Seems to be like the premier idea 
that happens when I have struggles with God is not who is God and not does he exist, but when is he going to show up? You ever find that? I'm just wondering how long. Seems to be a real common question. I noticed this how long um, shows up on family trips. You ever been on a family trip? Maybe as a kid? Okay. You notice what questions don't show up from the back seat when you're on a family trip. What's the experience going to be like when we get there? That's, no, that's never asked. What can I do in the meantime? That's rarely asked. Did you think this trip was a good idea, Dad? Mom, never asked. What's asked? How long? When are we going to get there? You've asked it as a kid if you traveled any distance further than two meters. Right? It's a constant question. We're such impatient people. It's the first thing that usually comes to mind. Not, hey, I'm really excited about this trip. Hey, I wonder about this. You know, what's going to happen? We say, how long? Take a moment to think in your own prayer life, the requests you've had to God, how many of them are how long? How many of them are time-related? How many of them have questions about the chronology of God? Meaning like, when are you going to show up? Are you going to answer my prayer? And in how long? What kind of time frame? Just give me a time frame, God. I'm cool with you just answering it, but just, just tell me how long it's going to take for you to answer it. We've got no answers. Not a single answer about the how long. We just have a license to ask the question. So unlike me, the parent who says, We're, we'll be there when we get there. Or you make up stupid junk like two minutes or 16 hours or 10 movies. Just keep quiet and we'll let you know you're on a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know right now. God doesn't answer like that. He apparently stays quiet or silent, but he seems to be perfectly comfortable with us asking, when are we going to get there? When are we going to get there? Seems to be what it means to be human, doesn't it? This question of impatience and how long. I know this because Sunday after Sunday, many of you ask, how long is he going to go on? I get it. I understand. Sat it in your place. Notice some of the words that the writer uses. Will you forget me forever? I mean, that seems like really over the top. Right? The kid's in the back and they're like, did you forget about me? No. You're the only reason we're going on this trip. I didn't forget about you. Okay, it seems a stretch, but it's not very easily translatable, honestly, from Hebrew. It, it means, have, are you still there? Right? You've been on the phone, kind of feel disconnect. You're, you're right into the meat of your conversation and, and someone comes back on the phone. Sorry, I missed that. Where were you? Did you say anything? Yes, I said, I poured out my heart. Thanks, great. That's awesome. Thanks a lot, Bell. Perfect time to drop the call. This is, this is God saying, this is the writer saying, did, did, did my call get dropped? Like, did you forget? I'm in the queue here, God. 
I'm next up. Your phone should be flashing. Call ready. How long did you forget me? How long will you hide your face from me? You know, we can't always relate to the biblical writers, but how many of you have ever felt distant from God? Is there anyone who can say you've never? Okay, let's do it the opposite. Anyone never felt distant from God? No hands. I knew it. Because that's not a universal experience, is it? If someone says like, oh, I've never felt distant from God, we're like, well, you're a liar, so I don't want to hang out with you anymore. Because we've all felt it. And even if we've not wanted to voice it or admit it in church, someone asked me this morning, you know what I wanted to say? I'm doing great. But I wasn't. I'm not doing great. I'm hurting. This isn't an easy time in our church life. It's not an easy time for me personally. Does it mean that life is crumbling down? means it's honest. How long must I take counsel in my soul? You notice that, that God is considered the great counselor. This is the writer going, am I going to have to do this myself? How many of us have felt that way? Okay, God, you can't answer this prayer. I'll answer the prayer. I got a way better plan. You just let me know if you're interested and I'll let you back into my plan. But for now, I'm going with plan B, and it's a better plan because it's now. I don't have to ask the question, why, how long anymore? How long? I have sorrow in my heart all the day. I get this angst, though. As I was preparing this sermon, I happened to be in the chapters, and there was a young child who was clearly in desperate need of some attention. Discipline. Mom walked away. Kid screamed. Couldn't concentrate. I couldn't read the magazine. I was like, can somebody discipline a kid? Like he's crying out. Like either tell him he can't cry anymore or just take him out of the store. But enough of this. I feel like this is how this this writer is feeling. I'm hoarse. I've asked a number of times. It doesn't seem to be working. How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? You ever felt that? You ever, you ever said, well, I don't believe. You ever heard people say, well, I don't believe in God because he doesn't seem to answer prayer. And then you tell them about your prayer and how it's not answered. And it seems like, yeah, they're just going to mock me. Just gonna feel that. And you're embarrassed. You're embarrassed that you're praying because you're like, yeah, I don't know either. I'd love to know and feel the, the pure, raw presence of God, but I don't. So what is it what is it for you today? What is it for you today? I remember this long season. This is not a short season. Not, I'm not talking about today, but I'm talking about what I would call the two darkest years of our lives. I've shared this publicly before earlier in Urban Grace, but let me recount for you the things that I felt were going wrong. About 2004, I had just lost my job as a pastor. What I mean by lost it is I resigned not knowing what we were going to do. 
and truthfully not wanting to originally resign. I thought it would be a good break for us. I wanted time away from the church to see if I really love God or I love the church. I found out during that summer that I really loved God. I wanted to read my Bible. I just didn't read it because I was part of a church. Three months went by. I thought this was great. Thanks, God. I learned my lesson. I fell in love with you again and not the church. And then everything went crap. Started looking for a church to serve in. Couldn't find one. Decided to get in shape. Was actually in the best shape of my life. I love the game of football. Finally was engaged in a flag football team. Dream come true. I snapped my fibia tibia in the second game. No one touched me. I did an all-star juke move. Caught my cleat and snapped it. I snapped it. The guy across from me heard it and was like, Bleh. They cut my sock off. I was in so much pain. I was in a not walking cast for seven weeks. After about a week of watching baseball playoffs, laying on the couch, not being able to move because I was in great pain, I actually had to go get the cast redone because the doctor didn't wait for the swelling to go down, so he put on an extremely tight cast. Thanks a lot, doctor. Cut it off, put a new cast on. About a week later, I was like, okay, I'm going to go out to Smitty's and I'm going to figure this out. God, I'm going to journal. I got a phone call from my wife. She said, my mom's got cancer. I said, come on, God. Come on. You ever felt that way? Come on. What else can go wrong? It's two years. Continue to not be able to find a church. I had to ask my father-in-law for money to live, to feed my family. By the time I got relatively healthy, we didn't have benefits, so I had no way of getting physiotherapy. So I had to figure out how to rehabilitate a leg that had been dormant. My muscles were so gone that when I first stepped down, I could feel my heel bone hit the ground. It was just soft, but I had no way of rehabilitating it. I got a job as a Assistant construction supervisor, meaning I swept the floors for the construction supervisor. Made sure the houses were clean in between the trades. Really glamorous. That didn't pay the bills, so I had to get up at 3 in the morning to deliver papers. So I worked from 3 till 6 in the morning, went home, had breakfast, went to work from 8 till 5, came home, had supper. Leslie took off for work. I took care of Dinah and fell asleep at 7.30. What a great life. I was so mad at God. I threw my Bible across the room. Clearly knowing how much the Bible meant, you're like, it's just a book. I threw it at God. I threw it at God. I said, this is your word? Take that. I remember doing that. I remember putting my fist through the wall. Thankfully, I'm a little bit of a handyman, so I was able to Smooth it over and fix it over. Landlord never knew. You don't get to tell him. I get to confess that to him. I remember that. We prayed for my mother-in-law to get better. She didn't. She died. She died a painful 
death far too quickly. She spent her last years basically in a skeleton. The chemo just took everything from her. She was my father-in-law's life. We watched it destroy him. Thankfully, he's with her and Jesus right now. But I tell you what, I don't want a second of those days back. God did some things from that, but I don't feel he did anything during that. My prayer was, how long? Come on, God. When will you show up like you say you're supposed to show up? When will you do the things that you say you're going to do? When will you reveal your closeness to me? I felt so distant from God, so dark. No matter how much I journaled, no matter how much I prayed, he wouldn't give me the church that I wanted. He wouldn't give me the opportunity that I wanted. What are you waiting for? Waiting for a change in your career? Waiting for your job to settle out? Waiting for your family to be pieced back together? You got marriage problems? You got no marriage? You got a broken marriage? You got a former marriage? You got family relational problems? You waiting for those to be put back together? You waiting for something to happen spiritually? You waiting for this breakthrough in your life where the Bible will just, the words will just leap off the page and you'll journal to your heart's content. And you'll spend hours in prayer. Are you hoping for something? A baby? A spouse? A baby to come back? A child to return? Relationship with your parents? Relationship with your kids? What is it? I can't answer this this morning for you. But I know that many of you have these questions. And I can honestly say, I do know how that feels. To feel distant from God. Second part is, why are you waiting for it? That's not really what the psalm says, but he, he, he starts to answer his own question. He says, consider and answer me, Lord. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. You ever felt like that way? God, just take me now. God, I'm going to die here. I'm going to die if you don't show up. I want to die if I don't show up. This is not even the psalmist being suicidal or fatalist. He's just saying, if you don't show up, I'm just going to wither away here. And I know that's partially true. We're all going to wither away. But there's something very real and raw about what he says. Lest my enemies say I've prevailed over him. He says, just show up so that people don't laugh at my belief in you. You're going to look bad, God. You ever felt that way? Hey, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to look terrible in front of my coworkers. 
They're not going to believe that you exist. They're not going to believe that you're real. They're not going to believe you answer prayer. They're not going to believe that I believe in you. You start answering the whys. There's something real about this. It's funny how as he begins to voice it, something begins to happen. And I think the, the turnaround is really quick. In fact, when I was studying it, I was like, how did he come to that conclusion that quickly? I sure didn't. But he has four requests. Answer my prayer. Don't allow me to stay depressed. Don't let me die like this. Don't let my enemies win. Starts listing the reasons. And I can guarantee you, you have reasons for your prayers, don't you? And they need to be sorted out. And you want to sort them out. Sometimes we actually just have these questions and we're not really looking for answers. Do you ever have those friends around you who have the answers for everything? And you just kind of say to them, hey, 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 bro. No, no offense, but just shut it. I, I, I'm not looking for answers, actually. I just need to voice this. I just need to talk this out. I just need to say I'm not having a great day. I don't need you to swoop in and fix this. I don't need you to give me answers. I don't need you to, you know, break out the five points of Calvinism on me and tell me how awesome God is right now. Look it, I'm in pain. I just need to talk this through. If that's ever been you, then I think the psalmist knows how we feel. They say these psalms are of David. I'll be honest with you. I don't think they're all specifically written by David. And here's the reason why I don't believe that. They're not supposed to be written just exclusively by David. That's not where their authority comes. Actually, David was the prototypical kind of embodiment of humanity. The greatest king. Until Jesus, he was the hero that everyone looked to. There's a lot of Psalms that I believe are written by David, but here's the reason why there's not a lot of background information. Like, don't you wish you were like, okay, well, what's the situation here? Can it be a little more applicable? And the reality is, no, it can't, because then it loses its power. Because if it's too specific, then we can't relate in the same way. There's enough vagueness here that goes, oh, I know how that feels. I know exactly how that feels. Right? Can you imagine if the psalmist is like, as I went over the mountains in my private helicopter, I examined the grandeur of God. Can you feel what that feels like? You're like, no! Not a personal helicopter. It's too specific. As I floated on my 90-foot yacht, I just had these questions about God. You're like, give me something real. This is, this is the psalmist saying, hey, I feel like I'm going to die here. I feel like if you don't show up, something's going to happen. I feel like if you don't come through, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I do know I'm not going to be able to go on much longer. And these words don't give us any information, do they? Beyond, <laughs> like I'm just shrugging my shoulders going, I don't know what to say to this guy. 
or girl? Why are you waiting for what you're waiting for? Take some time to think about that. You have reasons to God, and they're legitimate reasons. God, you're a healing God. Why won't you heal? That's my question all the time. God, you say you're a healer. Why won't you heal? Twice. Two parents I've asked for healing. Neither he is healed. I prayed for Matt. I pray for him every week for healing. Why hasn't God healed him? I don't know. God's a healing God. But he hasn't answered that prayer. God, you love healthy families. Families. You love them. You love children. Why don't I have children? God, you love when we all get along. Why can't we get along? God, you love healthy marriages. Why can't you repair my marriage? God, you love communication. Why can't we communicate? God, can't you see I'm trying here? Can't you see my effort? You love when I'm praying, I'm praying. So answer me for crying out loud. I'm not giving you many answers, am I? But I hope I'm just giving you some license to talk to God. Because lastly, the psalmist ends here, the songwriter ends here. He says, will you be satisfied with God? By the end of the song, the author makes a sudden change of direction. And I like that there's a paragraph there. That paragraph should read X number of years. That's how I feel it should read. And I began to think about this long spaces, about what the, what the author doesn't know or when God has promised in a couple, three weeks ago, uh, a preacher by the name of Vin was here and he preached about how there's this promise from God, but he, Abraham's this great man of God apparently who had like four experiences in his life that we know of, of actually hearing from God and long spaces in between, long spaces in between. Abraham's given the example or given the promise that God would make a nation through him, it takes almost a lifetime to come true, at least 20 years. 20 years. He's probably praying this prayer. How long? You promised. Moses, he was called to lead the people. He lives as a guest, as a dual citizen, marries someone out in the desert, and between the time when he meets God in the form of a burning bush in the time when he appears before Pharaoh to call Israel out of slavery is 40 years. Think about that. 40 years. 40 years. Some of you aren't even 40 years old. Job is highly blessed of God but ultimately has all of that tested when God allows. Yes, hear me say that. God allows for everything to be taken away and for Job to experience the death of his entire family, the abandonment of his closest friends, even his wife, then his health, then all of his financial stability. Everything is taken from him because God allowed it. God ultimately restores Job 
But while in the midst of it all, this is his prayer over and over again. That's why the Psalms is back to back against Job. Turn back to your left, you'll see Job. A long, long, long story of Job asking how long will it be till you show up. And so all I have is what do you do while you wait for God? I think we've got some help from the text in this sense. And the first one is voice your thoughts. What a cool looking retro phone, eh? You're welcome. Talk to God. I noticed in my own life this is how I had to pray this morning. That what I usually do is I voice my thoughts to people. You notice that? Something's going wrong. You don't call up God, you call up someone who you know will identify with this first. You talk to people about God. Here's what the psalmist does, he talks to God. He talks to God. He voices his thoughts. This is what I would encourage you, voice your thoughts to God. I journal. I can explain that. I got some paper and a pen, and I write stuff down. I write down what I think. I write down what I'm not particularly happy about. I have ADD, really bad, ADDD, ADD, something like that. I don't know, I wasn't paying attention. So for me, <laughs> writing down, one person got that, that's awesome. I write down how I'm feeling. And I need that. I go for a walk. But too often I find myself simply talking to others about what I think about God and not enough of picking up the phone and talking to God himself. I work for, in an office where someone said, well, you seem to have a, you're a pastor, so you have a closer connection to God. So why don't you go between me and God and, and get to him that way? And I said, I have no closer connection than you do, than we all do. It's the power of what Jesus brings through his Holy Spirit. We have immediate connection to God at all times. He's never busy. He's not on the other line. He's available immediately. He's interested. He wants to hear how you feel. You can't fake it till you make it with God because he knows. And he's not afraid of you. He's not afraid of you asking questions. I'm not going to say that it is just you say whatever you want to say to God and it's not a sin. I'm saying if you think it anyways, it is a sin. So just tell him about it. Just talk to him like he's a real person, because he is. Talk to him like he's in control, because he is. Voice your thoughts to God. Find, as I begin to voice my thoughts, I begin to realize the silliness of some of the requests I have. You ever notice that? Like, oh man, I just can't wait to talk to that person. Then you talk to them, you actually voice it out loud, and you're like, oh shoot, I should have kept my mouth shut, because that was dumb. This is why it's important to talk to God. As you talk to him, you realize what you actually think. 
You realize what's actually going on. You realize how actually angry you really are and what some of the real problems. Oh, I know what this is now. I know that this is this problem. Yes, talk to other people, of course. But here's the psalmist saying, voice your thoughts with God. Secondly, make a checklist. I'm reading a really nerdy book about getting things done better. It's a book written by a doctor like a a surgery doctor, like an ER doctor, who said the biggest breakthrough in medicine in the last 10 years is doctors coming up with checklists to make sure they don't forget things. It's the biggest medical breakthrough. I know, genius, right? It's, It's an incredibly interesting read. And as I thought about it, I said, here he is. He doesn't have much of a checklist, but he has a checklist. He's like, here's what I don't know about God. When you're going to show up. Here's what I don't know about you. How long? Here's what I don't know. I I need you, God. I don't know how you're going to show up. I don't know when you're going to show up. So he provides himself with a checklist. And he says, but I know you have steadfast love. I know that. I know that. What's steadfast love? Unfailing love. That's what it is. The Jesus Storybook Bible, which is probably one of the best translations I have ever read in my life. We give it to every couple who dedicates a baby at Urban Grace. It is one of the best reads I think there is out there. Describes this hesed, it's Hebrew, for steadfast love. We don't have a real good, you know, uh, guttural word like hesed. We just have love. This is what it means. It's an unfailing, never giving up, never running out, never losing altitude love. That's what it's described as. He says, I know, I know you have that. I know you have that. He's clinging to his checklist. I know you have said, And I have trusted in it. And it says, I know you provide salvation. Salvation means saving. I know you can save me. I know you're the author of my salvation. I know that ultimately you can do something about it that no one else can do. I know you can provide salvation. And I will sing to the Lord. And we, some, we sometimes read that like, I will sing to the Lord. I think we should read it like this. No, I will sing to the Lord. I'll do it because I know he has dealt bountifully with me. Yes, amen. Bountifully, more than I need. He has saved me to something more than I could even ask for. Sometimes all we have is the promise of heaven. The promise that one day, one day, one day this will all go away. You ever think to yourself that? Oh, one day, one day this will all be gone. One day, just one day. I'm just hanging on for the one day that this is all going to be made right. One day where there's never going to be problems again. One day there's no more tears. This is what the psalmist is saying. I will sing to the Lord because he has given me more than I can imagine. 
Now you say, well, what about Jesus? How come you haven't talked about Jesus? Good question. Because I've left it to the last. Because if you want to know how much God knows what it feels like, all you have to do is look at Jesus. Before he died, do you know what his last words were? Like he said, it is finished, then he died. But just before that, do you know what he said? Eloi, Eloi, Lama Sabachthani, Psalm 22.1, Psalm 22.1. He had it memorized. I mean, he wrote it, so he had it memorized. 22.1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He felt it. He felt that on the cross. You don't think God knows what you're going through? You don't think God knows what it's like to feel abandoned? He hung on a cross like this and begged God to show up and said, yeah, not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. He made a checklist on the cross. He said, the will of the Father is the most important thing. I know that. And then he said, it is finished, and he died. And he died so that you and I would never have to experience that ultimately again. He died so that by trusting in him who hung on the cross, we would never have to pay for our sins and feel the ultimate anguish. Some would concentrate on the pain of Jesus from the cross, but I would say, I think the real ultimate anguish was Jesus Christ experiencing pure abandonment from the Father. And that alone, I think, killed him. Because nobody can actually handle this. So make that checklist. I'll call the band up. And here's what I say. It's checklist number one. Jesus died for my sins. That's what we're doing every Sunday. We're voicing our thoughts to God. We're making a checklist. This is the checklist. Jesus came. That's what's symbolized in the bread. The crackers. The flesh of Jesus. That's what it represents. Jesus came in the flesh. God came to us. He ultimately answered this prayer by saying, I am not going to leave people alone to figure things out by themselves. I'm going to come down amongst them, live the life that they should have lived, and then die the death that they should die for this so that they will never have to do this again. That's what it meant when it is finished. Actually, properly translated from Greek, paid in full. No more separation. He did that by shedding blood, by dying by pouring out his blood for us. So when we are in these moments of how long, when we are listing off our checklist of why God should show up, let's put checklist number one, Jesus died for me. Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. Let's pray. Jesus, 
you know what's going on in the hearts of the people in this room. You know there are people that are doing okay. You know there are people who are faking it and trying to make it. You know there are people who when we ask them how they're doing, they'll say good, doing great. But inside they're not, Jesus. And you know that. Your spirit knows that. So Holy Spirit, help us to be real. Help us to open up to who we really are which is lost little sheep without you. Broken people. We're not a church filled with people who have our lives put together. We're a church filled with people who want our lives put together by you. And so I'm just praying on behalf of all of those requests this morning. All of the brokenness. All of the ripped apart marriages. All of the ripped apart relationships, families. All of the unemployment all of the physical ailment, all of the infertility, all of that, Jesus, we bring it to you. We say how long. We say show up soon. And we say we will sing because you have dealt bountifully with us. And we ask this, Jesus, in your awesome and holy name. Amen.